uh, grab your Bibles and, and open them to Luke 5. And I want to read you a, a neat passage. I love this event in the life of Jesus Christ. And um, it's just, I love to preach it, and, and I'm going to read it to you. Beginning, it's the first 11 verses of Luke 5. You follow in your copies of uh, God's Word. Here we go. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, We toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land... They left everything and followed him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, oh, it endures forever. At the time of this event, Peter had been following Christ several months now, uh, close to a year uh, since that event that we first looked at in John 1. And the project is well underway. What project? The expansion project. The expansion of Peter's soul. The building of us, of a man. Now guys, I, I'm going to probably say this in every edition of this series, but I, this text, this story is really not about Peter. It's about Christ. But we're using these events about Christ to show what God does in the, in the construction of a, of a man. So don't let me take your focus off of Jesus Christ. This is a story about Christ. But we're using it on these occasions to just show you what he's up to in this expansion project in Peter. By the way, it's the same one, the same project that he's up to in all of us. In this story, Jesus has just, in verses 3 and 4, we're told that he has just been teaching people from the from a boat. And um, when he's done, and interestingly, Luke doesn't include the sermon, because I think Luke realizes that the really big story here is about what he's doing or what he's up to in the life of Peter. But after Jesus has completed this this teaching time, 
he turns to a group of lifelong fishermen's fishermen and gives them some advice about their trade. Now, guys, I, I, I told you uh, two weeks ago that Peter is the only man ever recorded in the scriptures that ever said no to Jesus. Uh, and he gets dangerously close to saying it again here. But he's wondering, wait a minute, I mean, does he not understand? First of all, we're the fishermen here. I mean, doesn't he understand that we've worked that part of the lake all night and caught nothing? I mean, we are already pulling in the nets and washing them and repairing them. <coughs> he must not understand that. But instead of saying no, he simply says, okay, if you say so. And then as if fish appeared out of nowhere, they make this net ripping catch. Peter's response um, in verse 8 is anything but intuitive. In fact, it's counterintuitive. Instead of saying depart, he should have said something like, um, why don't you stick around and let's go into business together? You know, maybe a partnership. Jesus and Peter fishing extraordinaire. But, but the opposite is what occurs. Peter asks for something that he doesn't really want, as, as if he had become the, the frightened fish thrashing around in that net. But, but guys, what is so terrifying about a, a full net of fish? Guys, you, you do know, don't you, that this is not about the fish. Um, this is not about a discovery of a new fishing technique. It's about a discovery, an insight that Peter gets to the one that he's been following for the last year that heretofore had not yet pressed in on his soul. Peter has the terrifying realization that he, as a veteran sinner, is in the presence of undiminished deity. And it totally undoes him. Which is one of the fundamental steps in this development of the soul that you see taking place. An expansion project, a development project that is fueled not by activity. It's fueled by intimacy. Now let me explain what I mean by that, guys. Folks, the criteria for measurement of spiritual maturity is never an activity. That is, how many committees you serve on, how often you go to church. The issue is always how much you know about Him, about Jesus Christ. How much of him has gotten inside of you? And the bigger he is, the more your soul expands. Guys, this event convinced Peter of something that he had thought he had seen there 
all along. Something that was lying just beneath the surface of his humanity. He is now convinced, that is, Peter is now convinced that he is in the presence of someone who has a power and a prerogative that is obeyed even by fish. That he's in the He's in the presence of the, of the creator, of the author, of the Lord of nature and all of nature's rules and all of nature's elements. Obey him. And because he gets that insight, we're going to see in a few minutes that his response to that is that he leaves everything and follows him. But back to my point. For us, if we were asked to, 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 to list, to make a list of the really spiritually mature people in our church, what we would do is begin to put on our list those people who are really involved. I mean, maybe it's just in the South. I, I, I hope not, but... Um, have you ever heard this? Oh, they're just really active in their church. Why? I mean, they're there every time the doors are open. And we equate that activity with maturity. We think that Christian maturity, spiritual maturity is measured in activity. It is not. Guys, spiritual maturity occurs not as we get more involved, but as we get more intimate with Jesus Christ. Now, so what is it that drives Peter to his knees? Fish? No. Fear? Oh, no. What drives him to his knees is a sense of his own sin brought on by a new glimpse of who it is that he's dealing with. Guys, that is a fundamental step in the expansion of the soul. This this renewed sense of sin brought on by the expanding realization of who it is that I belong to. Now, I, I, I want to look at the text under three quick headings, guys. Remembering that we're trying to figure out some of the, the, the steps that God takes in, in making us more mature in our walk with Christ. I want to look at the text under three headings. First of all, I want you to look with me at Peter's sense of sin. Secondly, I want you to see Jesus' response to Peter's sense of sin. And then I want you to see, finally, the three of them, Peter, James, and John, their response to Jesus' response. Peter's sense of sin, Jesus' response to that, and then their response to Jesus' response. Those are the three things I want to take some time over. and Let's get started. First of all, let's take a look at Peter's sense of sin. Guys, this is the first time that you see in the New Testament anybody confessing their sin publicly before Jesus Christ. Um, what he, in essence, is saying is that I am disqualified because of my sin for nearness to you. 
That is, or fellowship with you. I am unfit to stand in your presence. And it's not merely individual sins that I'm aware of. Guys, we may be, we may already know that we're sinful and are willing to admit that gladly and freely. But there is a point. A point in the development of the soul. When God may graciously convince us of something far deeper than individual sins. And I hope he does. For all of us. Guys, what you're seeing portrayed in this little story is a conviction that the whole of me, the whole of who I am, says Peter, is pervaded by sin. There is no good, sound part of me that I can improve to make me acceptable to God. I'm a hopeless wreck. In short, I am a sinner and I am nothing else. I have no excuses. I have no defense. In the presence of God, the only thing that comes to my mind is my sin. And I am finished with all this making excuses and all this silly talk about what a good person I am. Now that's a pitiable state to be reduced to, isn't it? No. No, it's, it's, it's the very first rising of the soul. It, it's the time that I finally throw down all my weapons of rebellion. And I bring to a halt all of this silliness that I can somehow save myself by my good works. It, it's, the, it's the point in the development of my soul when I stop trying to make excuses and explaining my behavior with a series of buts. Oh, I did this, but... No, because I am convinced that the problem is far deeper than my behaviors. What you're seeing here, ladies and gentlemen, in Luke 5, is the beauty of repentance. And it is a noble, holy thing. It's, 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 it's the gift of God, at least the real one. There is a synthetic, there is a phony one, and that one's ugly. But, but this is a gift of God. It's, it's the door of hope. Let me illustrate what I mean by that when I say a door of hope. Guys, what is the key to the restoration of any broken relationship? Let's just, for illustration purposes, talk about marriage. Let's just say, and this happens to me from time to time, a little couple is sitting in my office and there's been a breach of trust. Of an affair. Now, folks, um, men are not the only one who have affairs. I hope you realize that. But on this occasion, we'll just say it was the man who had an affair. And the little wife looks at me and says, should I take him back? And I say, of course you should take him back. That is, if we see... Holy Ghost authored repentance. 
And they say, well, what is that? Guys, when God the Spirit authors repentance in us, first thing that we realize is that we don't know how to repent. The second kind of characteristic of it is that we stop. Um, We start hating the sin as opposed to having been caught. We hate what we've done instead of, oh no, look, I've been caught. And then we... You know, guys, about the closest we ever get to that apart from the gift of God, is that we smudge ashes on our forehead at at Ash Wednesday and call that repentance. It's not, you know. It's not. Repentance is when I I come to the place where I'm ready to make a spiritual U-turn. You know, I've told you this before, but I'm, I'm telling you it's profound. It's... Guys, Martin Luther launched the Protestant Reformation when he nailed 95 theses on the church door at Wittenberg, Germany. You know that. Maybe you know that little piece of history. The Protestant Reformation began when Martin Luther, on October the 31st, 1517, nailed 95 theses on the church door at Wittenberg, Germany. Theses means this. They were just issues. Issues of debate and discussion. Martin Luther never intended to leave the Roman Catholic Church. He just wanted to debate some things that, that he thought were wrong in the church. But number one... Number one of the 95, numero uno, was something, this is a paraphrase, but it's close. Number one was this, that the whole of the Christian's life is to be one of repentance. Peter's learning that. He's learning that in the life of every man that God develops, that there is a sense of sin that goes far deeper than my being concerned about my behavior choices. And that sense of sin is brought on when I begin to see that I'm dealing with somebody a whole lot bigger than I ever dreamed I was dealing with. The second thing I want you to see is is Jesus' response to verse 8. That is, Peter's, depart from me. You're, uh, I'm a sinful man. Look at verse 10, guys. It's, It's profound. He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Far from banishing Peter, he embraces him and and. And not only does he embrace him, he promises that in the future he's going to be using him to advance the kingdom and to save others. <laughs> How about that? In response to repentance, Jesus says, Guys, two things I want you to say about that, or, or I want to say about it. First of all, it is immediate. That is, Jesus' restoration is immediate. He doesn't say, uh, now listen here, Peter, um, uh, you and I, I, I mean, uh, we'll be, uh, we can talk about this restoring if you like, but, Peter, I want you to know you're going to have to do a few things before I do. 
I'd like to see a little groveling, Peter. I want to inflict a little pain, Peter. No. Jesus knows nothing about a stiff arm. Immediately on the heels of recognition of sin. Come on, man. I'm going to use you in the future. But guys, if we minimize our condition and we refuse to admit our complete helplessness, then instead of an immediate forgiveness and restoration, he will send us back to the thing that we still trust in, our own self-righteousness. The other thing that I want you to see about this, rest, this response of Jesus is this, guys. Do you think it a bit odd that a greater sense of my sin makes me more useful than less useful? Do you see that? A greater sense of sin doesn't make me less useful, ladies and gentlemen. It makes me more useful. Because there's nothing that will ruin you quicker than a high view of yourself. And that high view of oneself is maintained only by not getting a glimpse of who Jesus Christ is because once we get a glimpse of who He is, we're done with all that foolishness. Which brings us to the third point, ladies and gentlemen, and that is their response to his response. And um, I have to tell you that for me, these are very unsettling words. Notice, once Jesus has finished saying, I'm going to use you to catch men, in verse 11, and when they brought their boats to land, they left. Everything. Have those words ever rattled around in your soul at all? You ever wondered whether you ever done that? Left everything? I want to read you just one, actually it's a portion of a sentence out of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship, and he's referring to Luke 5. He says... I just love this. They must burn their boats and plunge into absolute insecurity. They must burn their boats and plunge into absolute insecurity. Have you ever wondered whether you've ever done that or not? You know, guys, in, in the Old Testament, faith meant that you... Waited faithfully on God to make good of all his, on all his promises. But in the New Testament, faith means only one thing. It means following Jesus Christ. Not only did these three guys walk away from their boats, they also left behind a net full of fish. Faithfulness means following. 
for them and for us. They left everything. Now, guys, you need to you need to listen because I'm going to help you. If you're serious about following Jesus Christ, these words really trouble you. Now let me lessen the pressure on you just a little bit. Not pressure that I'm putting on you. Pressure that these words put on all of us. Let me lessen that pressure just a little bit. Are you with me? Guys, in interpreting your Bibles, you must always maintain the distinction between what is prescriptive and what is descriptive. Okay? You better remember that. For instance... In Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, we're told that the early church sold everything that they owned, they pulled it, and they lived communally. Are we supposed to do that? Or how about this? In um, Is it Mark 10 when Jesus is dealing with a rich young ruler? He says, sell everything you got and come and follow me. Are we supposed to do that? I want to humbly submit to you that the answer to that question is no. Those passages are descriptive and not prescriptive. The Bible accurately and inerrantly describes certain events for our own edification. But it nowhere tells us that those things are to be done by all of us. Let me give you an example of a prescriptive passage. Here it is. Thou shalt not steal. That's a prescription. That's prescribed. That's something that all of us are supposed to do. Not steal. I'm suggesting to you that this is descriptive, not prescriptive. Now, having lessened the pressure on you, let me put it back on. My brother and sister in Christ, we too face life-altering decisions where we are sometimes asked to let go of all of our security and leave all that's familiar and safe and to embrace something unknown. You know, I would think, ladies and gentlemen, that if there's any question, any issue that the recession, this present recession that we're in, should have taught us, it would be that security is not man-made. Guys, in this story, Jesus has shown Peter that, that a lake that Peter thought was empty was in fact full. A fish. And so for Peter, a new kind of fishing lay ahead for him for the rest of his life. But on this day, it was Peter. It was Peter who got caught. And in response, he left everything. And followed Christ. You ever done that? Well, no. No. Do you know anybody who has done that? No. 
Have you ever read about anyone who's ever done that? Well, yeah, I might have read something. Have you ever read of anyone who did that, who regretted it after they had done that? Well, no. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, here's the pressure. If he asks you to do that, Could you? If he asks you to do that, would you? Ladies and gentlemen, I do not know what Jesus Christ is asking of you. I know that he's asking of all of us that we follow him. But the details of what he's asking you, I do not know. But I can tell you this much. This is the ways of God in the soul of a man. Now here's what we're going to do as we close. We're going to take about 20 seconds. It'll be brief, but it'll be painful. Because it's going to be silent. And I just want you to figure out, could you, would you? Or what is it that he's, what are the details of what he's asking you to do? Maybe, maybe it is that you need to make a phone call this afternoon and get that right. Maybe you need to break off a relationship that you know that you shouldn't be in. Maybe you need to write a check. Maybe you need to say no to a deal. Maybe you need to say yes to one. Maybe you need to come to Jesus Christ for the very first time. Let's take 20 seconds and face Jesus Christ. Go ahead. Lord Jesus, the real problem is that we haven't ever seen you like Peter saw you in this event. Because we haven't. We trifle with, with holy things. We trifle with spiritual things. And, and our souls show it. We're far more committed to um, to following a basketball tournament than we are following the Lord of Glory.
We're far more committed to following our children than we are following Jesus. And, um, Father, um, all of us, including the paid professionals around here, need a taste of what Peter tasted. Would you grant that, Lord? And then, by the end of this day, the things that we have just said yes to, or no to, might you see them fleshed out in our souls. And Father, if you've led people here today who have not yet received the finished work of Jesus Christ for their, soul, for their sin, might their knees buckle on the way out of this room. Might they never have another moment's peace until they have found peace residing in Christ. Do that, Father, all for the glory of yourself. We pray in Jesus' name.